This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia. It is Clemson week. Uh, Miami will be traveling to South Carolina to take on uh, the ACC powerhouse program at the moment. Uh, kickoff for, set for 3.30, and it will be televised on ESPN. Uh, we'll get into that matchup here uh, after the break, second half of this podcast. Uh, but first half of the podcast, we got to devote to recruiting. As you all know, recruiting never stops. And on Wednesday night, there was an interesting recruiting development uh, in South Florida with four-star American Heritage Plantation running back Mark Fletcher announcing that he was uh, decommitting from his Ohio State pledge. Um, The fallout from that announcement is... This now appears to be a Miami Hurricanes and Florida Gators battle. Mark Fletcher's just coming off an unofficial visit to take in a Florida game. Miami has been recruiting Mark Fletcher uh, nonstop this whole cycle. So, Gabby, uh, what was your reaction to the Mark Fletcher decommitment? And kind of how are you viewing this recruitment at this stage? Yeah, uh, reaction was, I don't know, I feel like, you know, Andrew Andrew Ivins kind of tipped everyone off on the preps to pros, kind of thought that that was coming. I found it very interesting. I mean, I feel like his whole tone over the past few weeks, really, since he's been committed to Ohio State, was that that he was firm with that pledge. So to hear that he was backing off of it so suddenly, again, after that big Florida performance, I think they totaled 374 yards on the ground with him in the stands. I mean, uh, so yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty big deal. And, you know, again, Miami kind of, kind of the guy at running back, right? I mean, I feel like Mark Fletcher and Miami's running back situation have been tied, you know, dating back pre-Mario Cristobal. You know, when Mario Cristobal was here, Mark Fletcher obviously took some swings at other guys, but really over the past, I don't know, four or five months, it's been all about Mark Fletcher. Um, So yeah, I thought it was really interesting, of course, and then understanding that Miami would definitely get, you know, again, maybe not, I, I just thought the door cracked open a little bit for Miami to potentially continue to work through this recruitment. Obviously going to be a, a gritty battle, David, as you mentioned, between Miami and Florida. I mean, those two programs seem to be finding ways to connect themselves on recruiting battles. It seems like every day it's a new name that's popping up that now it's Miami and Florida involved. So super interested to see how this plays out. And, uh, you know, I do think Miami's going to, 
you know, I think Miami's willing to fight this battle with them and kind of go do what they got to do to to lock home that uh, Broward County native. My sense on it is I think, you know, with, with the decommit announcement, I think in these first 24 hours, Florida has the early edge, uh, but Miami's not going to back down. And, you know, I think if Mark Fletcher is smart, he takes this until signing day and lets things happen however they happen with his recruitment. Do you think that's a fair way to characterize it right now? Like, I don't think either, I don't think either school is like significantly ahead of the other. Um, but if I was going to give a little edge to a school, I'd probably give it to Florida right now. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair way to, to kind of handicap it right now. But I think what's important, David, is what you're saying. Like, if like if Mark Fletcher's, I mean, if if I don't know, I think any prospect would be smart to take this thing to signing day, right? Again, keep kind of hammering this home. Let's not forget the era of college football that we're in right now. Like, you know, this is one that, yeah, right now, again, initial reaction is, oh, hey, Florida was just in Gainesville, you know, had a great performance on the ground. But I don't think that this is one that's going to get shut down pretty, pretty, and you know, anytime soon. If it does, you know, I would probably, you know, think Florida's in the lead. But again, I think, I mean, there's there's five weeks until early early signing period. There's a long way to go. He's just opening back up his recruitment. I think there's there's a lot of time between now and December 21st, and there's going to be so much that changes. And my my stance on this is trying not to be super reactionary, and obviously seeing the Florida Gator buzz. That could be real, but again, let's just let this thing play out because it doesn't seem like it's going to wrap up this weekend. It doesn't seem like it's going to wrap up next weekend. Let's just see how this process plays out. December is going to be open again. Official visits will be happening. I think Mark Fletcher is going to do his due diligence. And again, if he's smart, I think pinning Florida and Miami down against one another to the end is is kind of the way to play that. Yeah, and I, I do think it's fair to say Miami feels confident about where they're at. So right. It's going to be a battle. Miami's had a lot of battles with Florida. You wrote a, a nice article about that here. Uh, Mario Cristobal, Billy Napier. I think the two, honestly, are are friendly. Like, I, I think, right. uh, you know, they coach together or know each other from their Alabama days. Um, they obviously have the same taste in prospects. Um, and they've been sniping at each other, not in a bad way, like, not in a, just trying to, this is the game, right? They're, they're trying to steal each other's recruits the whole cycle, flip each other's commits. Um, when you went back and wrote that article, did you, did you kind of realize how many of these battles these two schools have, have had against each other? Because really, Florida's emerged as Miami's biggest foe on the recruiting trail this cycle. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is a lot. And I think it was also kind of a reminder of how many really Miami's won, right? Like, yeah. I think kind of going back to it, you know, Trevante Citizen back in February of 2022, that national signing day, that's a massive one. I mean, going to 24-7 profile right now, I mean, Florida was basically unanimously the crystal ball favorite there. The other forecast was in for like LSU from like an, an, uh, an Arkansas writer. Like people thought he was going to Florida, goes to Miami. People forget Matthew McCoy, who signed with Miami. His His crystal ball was on Florida until really like the weekend before of that early signing period, you know, then you go there, you go Daryl Jack. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, Miami wins right. out the Daryl Jackson one. That's a huge transfer portal recruitment. Miami was able to win too. And then again, you go on the crazy run, uh, you know, in July with Francis Mawagoa, Malik Bryan. I mean, Jaden Rashada at the time, that was a massive win over Florida. 
um, right. a, a bunch of different dudes. So, yeah, I mean, these guys are are really pitting themselves up against each other. Obviously, they've been trading blows, especially here, you know, in, in terms of like public perception, right? I mean, the Malik Bryant thing, yep. the Francis Malagoa, Tommy Kinzer, all three of those guys having to publicly reaffirm their commitments because of, you know, them being kind of linked to Florida at this stage of their process. I'm thinking about what's to come now. Like what's coming in front of us is also going to be monumental. I mean, we mentioned, we talked about Mark Fletcher. I mean, Samson Lola, the five-star right. offensive tackle. I mean, he just took like a midweek unofficial visit to Florida. I mean, Florida's definitely going to be a factor there. And then someone else that Miami fans have become familiar with recently, Xavier McLeod, McLeod the South Carolina commit. He's also been in Gainesville this fall too. He's someone that, that Florida would very much like to flip from South Carolina as well. Miami's going to try to get him back down in, in, in December for an official visit. If he opens things back up from South Carolina, I mean, that's going to be another direct Miami-Florida State battle. So, I mean, Florida. again, and there, there's, yeah, Miami, I'm sorry, Miami-Florida battle. So it's it, it's going to be crazy here. I mean, Miami-Florida, again, they really have become each other's biggest foes on the trail. Um, and again, let's not forget, Miami is still trying to dip into their recruiting class and, right. and recruit Jakeem Jackson and Sharif Denson. So a lot going on right now between Miami and Florida. I mean, I think these are some monumental recruiting wins. Let's also not forget they play you know, opening weekend of 2024. So a lot of these recruiting uh, recruitments that we're kind of following right now, tracking right now, seeing which one goes where. I mean, a lot of these guys are probably going to be on the field for that 2024 matchup in Gainesville. So, I mean, these things matter. And so it's going to be really interesting to to watch here down this these final, what, 34, 35 days. Yeah, these are the type of recruiting battles it takes to win big on the field. I think what in the 24 seven sports rankings, they're number eight, and number nine, I believe the last time I looked. So they're both right there. They're both, you know, honestly, depending on how these battles go, uh, both programs are in a position to be a top five class. I'm not sure both will be, um, but the one that wins the majority of these head to head battles probably has a chance to land a top five class. So uh, it'll be fun to follow here in the month of December. Um, it is interesting that, you know, Florida State just doesn't have much of a presence in South Florida. Um, and so Florida's kind of become this this uh, in-state recruiting foe for Miami here early on in the Billy Napier era. Um, last thing I want to touch on here before we take a break and get into Clemson uh, just kind of the the general roster turnover talk, Gabby. Um, you know, I, I believe it was after the Duke game and the instant reaction podcast where I kind of shared, look, I kind of expect about 30 guys to, um, you know, not be a part of the program that are a part of the program now. I think some people scoffed at that, but I think now people kind of see where that statement was coming from. Uh, I didn't just pull that out of the air. Um, but anyway, and and honestly too, I don't really enjoy talking about this part of the game. You know, it's a lot of drama. I get why the fans are into it. I don't like this type of stuff. I preferred to discuss results on the field, play on the field, talent acquisition, etc. cetera. Uh, but we do have to talk about this because it's an important piece uh, of the puzzle for this early stage of the Mario Cristobal era. So earlier this week, Gilbert Frierson announced that he's going to be entering the transfer portal. He's a graduate, so he can do that immediately. Um, so best of luck to him. 
Uh, Thad Franklin, it was reported and you confirmed, Gabby. I heard the same that Thad Franklin walked off the practice field on Wednesday because he was unhappy with, I guess, how the reps were going with the return of Don Chaney Jr. into the mix. Uh, Keyshawn Smith, I kind of hinted at the on the boards, I believe, a week ago that I was hearing he was probably going he was entering the transfer portal soon and he did not play this past week, didn't travel to Georgia Tech. So uh, you know, and there's going to be more. And I guess where I come from, Gabby, with this, I think it needs to be said, like, I don't necessarily think, and honestly, people inside the program, I think will say this too. I don't think these guys are bad guys. I don't think it's a situation where guys are turds and uh, they're being difficult on purpose. I think it's it's a situation where some guys just aren't up for this Mario Cristobal way of doing things. Um, and look, the Mario Cristobal way of doing things is, you know, this is a program now that's very serious about football. Uh, he's going to hold players accountable on and off the field to a very high standard. And that accountability wasn't always there in the most recent regime. So I think in some ways, Look, these players didn't sign up for the Mario Cristobal era. They, the majority of them signed up for a different coach. And that's why the transfer portal can be a good thing both ways. Bringing talent in, bringing talent out, or pushing talent out. But I just think in general, Gabby, um, you know, do you have a problem with the way guys are you know, deciding to leave, I guess, what, what is your just read on this whole transfer portal exit talk? Um, because, you know, I think it's just part of the process when you go from, you know, I think in baseball, right. They talk a lot about how, when you hire, when you, when you have a manager, that's a player's coach, then you go to the, the guy that's difficult and going to be tough on the players. And, you know, in baseball, you kind of just bounce back and forth, uh, between those types of managers. Uh, I don't think Miami intentionally did that here with the Manny Diaz, Mario Cristobal transition, but that's where they're at. It's a totally different regime. And uh, I think too, this is just me editorializing. I do think in some ways, Mario is driving the ship harder this first year to find out which players are here for this and to really establish his culture. And I think once he gets his guys in, you know, he's still going to drive the ship hard. Um, but, you know, it's not going to be full on pedal to the metal like we're seeing this season. Um, but anyways, I'm ranting. What are your thoughts on this transfer portal exit stuff that's going to happen? And, and how many guys do you think, I mean, I'm not, don't hold Gabby to this number, but it's going to yeah. be a high high amount of number, right? Yeah, no, I expect it to be a huge number. I mean, I think that they're already planning on, you know, a, potentially acquiring double-digit transfer portal guys, bringing in double-digit transfer portal guys. They already have a high school class that's, you know, up near the, tw the number 20. You know, I think that that can get anywhere between 25, 28, around there, if they really want to push it. I mean, that's 
we're, we're talking essentially 35 to 38 spots here that, you know, they potentially have to re- to replace that they're planning to kind of replace, you know, those scholarships. So, I mean, I'm looking, I, I think it's going to be a big number of guys that end up leaving. And David, I, I mean, I love what you said. I mean, I think this year one was about kind of finding, finding out who's here for this, right? Like this is about kind of changing it all up in Miami. I think it needed this kind of like maybe borderline extreme kind of uh you know approach where it's just like maybe harder than even mario cristobal would maybe typically be in in a situation where he knows that you know that's his program he's been there for a few years it's well established with guys who have the right mentality and all that stuff you need to kind of weed some of these dudes these dudes out and again it's not about these kids being bad it's about you know it's about just getting your guys i mean the quicker that you can figure this out flip it over the better i mean they need to i mean what happened this year cannot happen again it can't be a, a a fringe bowl season uh, so if it if it's about just simply acquiring top talent, guys who kind of are with the program that are willing to do what it takes, you need to kind of do that. And if it means pressing a little bit harder, it means pressing a little bit harder. I don't I don't know if an exact number, David, I could see it being, oh, well, you know, over 20 guys that end up leaving. I could see it being, you know, just some sort of mass exodus. I do think that there's a core of guys they would love to keep around. And I don't think yeah. that this whole roster is, you know, just a bunch of sour grapes. I think there's a lot of guys that they value and they think could be a big part, you know, could be a part of the future of this program, but there's also a lot of guys that need to just move on, you know, and that's fine. And there's going to be other spots for them. They'll probably land on their feet somewhere, but it's time for some dudes to go and uh, they need to kind of fill those spots with guys who are all on board with Miami, with the vision and what Mario Cristobal is trying to do. Yeah. And and honestly, when you have a coach like Mario Cristobal, playing time honestly is very cut and dry because it is all based on performance and what you do with the opportunities that you earn. Um, and that's the way it should be, you know, like when you are a 230 pound plus running back and you're averaging 2.14 yards per carry after contact, that's not good enough. That's not getting the job done. So you're not going to get many opportunities. Uh, when you're a running back and you fumble it four times in seven or eight games, you're going to get benched. So how do you respond to that benching when your next opportunity comes up? When you're a backup quarterback and you cough the ball up eight times in limited action, um, you don't really get to play much moving forward. When you're a receiver and you play a ton of snaps and you don't produce relative to that snap count, your role is going to decrease significantly. When you're a 145-pound cornerback, your focus needs to be on building your body up, getting your body college ready. Um, And there's, you know, a guy like Michael Redding has seen his snap count reduce significantly because the production wasn't there. Logan Sagapolo had an opportunity. He lost the job to Inez Cooper. Jaden Harris and Malik Curtis got opportunities in the first four games and they showed they weren't ready yet. Right. So they haven't played much significant snaps since then. This staff gives players opportunities to show what they can do. Um, But when you can't get the job done, they need to find players who can't or just give more snaps to the players that can play to an acceptable level. Um, And so, you know, I think there's, There's a lot of chatter out there. There's a lot of drama out there about how this coaching staff operates and gives playing time to the players. And really it's just, it's cut, cut and dry with this coaching staff. And, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal said it himself. If, if, uh, 
someone, if a parent has issues with the playing time that's given, they that parent can pick them up and uh, take them somewhere else. So, um, and look, I'll, I'll I'll end on this. If there is one big picture kind of positive with this season, and again, I'm using positive loosely, it is that I think in the long run, right? These types of losses shine a light on a culture um, and, and it shows the cracks in that culture. Um, so in a way, I do think in the long term, this kind of woke Mario up in terms of, wow, this really is a significant rebuild. Um, it wasn't going to be the easy fix. I think that everyone expected it to be. Um, and so, yeah, I think this offseason, dramatic changes will be made. And so in the long run, I think that's going to be a positive um, for this program overall. So let's take a break. And then on the other side, we will get into Miami Clemson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we are back. Um, let's start with kind of just injury talk. Uh, from the Miami side of things, um, you know, I do feel like there's a good chance that defensive tackle Leonard Taylor, who I think got a little dinged up in the Georgia Tech game, uh, didn't play in the second half. I think there's a chance he's a go this week. I think there's a chance running back Henry Parrish is a go. Um, I still kind of expect Jakari Brown to start this week, but we will see. Um, I don't know if he, I don't know if Jalen Rivers is going to play this week. I would say no, but I will say this: I I do think his injury is not as serious as I initially thought or expected. Um, I think there's maybe a chance Jalen Rivers can play against Pittsburgh. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but Clemson on to Clemson. Clemson is nine and one, seven and zero in ACC play. They have clinched a spot in the ACC championship game against North Carolina. They are number nine in the college football playoff rankings. Their college football playoff chances kind of hanging by a thread. They need some help, need some teams ahead of them to lose, but they're there. Um, you know, Dabo Swinney, of course, is their head coach. They have new coordinators after their coaching turnover last year. Brandon Streeter is their offensive coordinator, and Wes Goodwin is their defensive coordinator. And they're they're both guys that were kind of uh, internal hires, internal promotions. 
Um, the offense is averaging 34.2 points per game, 409 yards per game, and they're converting 46% on third down. Defense allowing 21 points per game, 340 yards per game, and they are allowing opponents to convert 36% on third down. Um, personnel talk. Let's uh, let's start at quarterback. You know, quarterback is DJ Uyangalale. I think he's much better year over year. That shows with his stats. He's thrown for just under 2,200 yards with 19 touchdowns and five interceptions, 65% completion percentage, rushing for 405 yards and five touchdowns across the board. That's basically, I mean, that's. He's almost thrown for as much yards as he threw for last year. Uh, he Last year, he threw for only nine touchdowns and 10 interceptions. He's already ran for more yards than he did last year. And last year, he completed only 55% of his attempts. Um, Gabby, when you watched Clemson, what was your takeaway on DJ Uyangalale? I think he's been a pretty good college quarterback this year I think at times the analysis of him is a little unfair because he was a five-star recruit I think both things can be true when it comes to DJ is he fulfilling that expectation of being a five-star recruit no is he still a pretty good college quarterback yes yeah I know I think it's a fair way to kind of I guess clump him up because I mean, again, with DJ, it's just kind of like, oh, he was this big top arm uh, coming out of, I guess, St. John Bosco, big time program out West from Cali signed with Clemson kind of thought it was going to be a seamless transition from Trevor Lawrence to him. Obviously it it didn't necessarily go that way. I do think he's kind of been better again, kind of just watching him. Um, You know, I do think, I mean, he has kind of some, I think Will Shipley obviously helps a lot with, with kind of just moving the offense along. And all that stuff, but I do think that when he kind of does make those throws, I think he, you know, he he puts balls in in catchable spots. I think he has an okay group of receivers and and tight ends that can kind of help him out a little bit. But again, I, I'm not, I don't think DJ Uyunglele is a top tier NFL arm or anything like that. But I also don't think he's like this quarterback where you can just kind of look at him like, you know, this guy's not going to do anything. I mean, again, he's a big body; he can definitely run. That's something Miami struggled with in the past, you know, in terms of just kind of like the quarterback using the legs to move the chains. I think he's, again, a really, really, really big body type guy. So can definitely uh, do those types of things. He's a red zone threat with the ball in his hands, you know, in terms of running it. So, yeah, you know, I think DJ, he's he's not a world-changing running back. I'm not putting him on any ACC, all ACC conference, you know, lists or anything like that. But I, I do think he he kind of gets the job done for Clemson more times than not. And obviously they've won, they've won some big games, you know, they just lost to Notre Dame, but you know, he's, he's played, he's done a fine job for them in, in some big wins. I think a lot of people kind of came into the season under the assumption that potentially by this point, you know, true freshman Kate Klubnik would have taken over. And I think at times they've given him an opportunity to kind of go out there and see what he can do. But I think that they've always kind of reverted back to DJ Uyunglele, And I think that kind of says a lot about, you know, how he's kind of improved again year over year. I think to this point, um, DJ has clearly been better than Cade. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, again, to this point, Cade has not shown that he's ready yet. So um, 
to me, DJ is clearly their best quarterback right now this year going into this game. Uh, could that change this week? Sure. Um, but I think DJ's doing a fine job managing their offense. Um, he has a huge arm, a cannon for an yeah. arm. The accuracy is where things kind of go haywire at times. I feel like he has a wacky kind of throwing motion, like kind of like a long, throwing it's long. motion. It yeah. is long, but it comes out hot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when he has to start throwing outside the numbers, you know, 15 air yards or more things kind of like he sails. He, when he misses, he misses high. Um, but I do think he does a nice job throwing to the middle of the field. Um, so that'll be something to watch. And you mentioned his running ability. He's definitely, he dropped some weight this off season and he's definitely, uh, running more effectively, um, this year compared to last. You mentioned a little bit about his skill talent. He's working with leading receiver. This year is a true freshman who works out of the slot, Antonio Williams, uh, 43 catches for 473 yards and three touchdowns. He's a solid guy. I don't know if he's like necessarily ultra dynamic, um, but he is very good at just catching the ball. I, I don't think he, ha- he might have, uh, he either has zero drops on the year or one drop. I forget, um, but his catching percentage is extremely high. When he's targeted, typically he catches the ball. Uh, Their second leading receiver is Joseph Nata, 376 yards on 26 receptions and two touchdowns. Um, You know, he's solid. He's kind of like a Frank Ladson type is how I would characterize him. Uh, To me, the most interesting weapons in the passing game that they have is at tight end. Yeah. Uh, They kind of have a two-headed monster there, Davis Allen and Jake Brenningstuhl, uh, who have combined for 534 yards and seven touchdowns on the year. You got to keep an eye on them uh, in the red zone. And they do a really good job of working between the numbers in the middle of the field. Um, So, and then running game, they got a nice little two-headed monster. Will Shipley, 899 yards and 12 touchdowns. Uh, he will flash some impressive highlights. Uh, on that hurdle? Six. Yeah, did you see the Louisville? The hur- yeah, the hurdle was wild. So he hurdled over a guy, and then there was like, as he got over that guy, there was two defenders coming at him from like each side that like kind of ran into each other or yeah. bounced off Will Shipley a little bit too, and then he scored the touchdown. So, uh, He's a guy that can flash some dynamic runs. He He's a threat in the passing game as well. He's not, I mean, they use him like they used to use Travis Etienne in the passing game, but he's not quite as dynamic uh, as a receiver as Etienne was. He has, Shipley has 25 receptions for 168 yards on the year. Their backup is Phil Maffa, who from a Miami perspective, concerns me because he's a big physical downhill runner um with Trey, pretty, Trey Benson vibes yeah I mean not yeah I'd say he's bigger yeah um, he's a big dude I don't know if the contact balance is as impressive as Trey's but right I mean this 
Miami team has struggled to tackle bigger backs that are talented. And Phil Moffat is that type of guy. He has 400 rushing yards and three touchdowns as the backup running back. So, and then the offensive line, pretty average. Um, not bad, not great. Um, just kind of get the job done. Kind of like how Miami's is this year. Um, defensively. Their defensive line is ridiculous. Uh, KJ Henry, Tyler Davis, Brian Brzee, Miles Murphy. To me, they're the most talented defensive line in the country, that front four. They are excellent. They are elite. They have 109 quarterback pressures on the year. Compare that to Miami's top four defensive linemen. And Miami has a great D-line, right? Uh, Miami's top four D-line combines for 79 pressures. So they get it done with rushing the passer. They're also really good run defense-wise. Gabby, what impresses you about their defensive line? Is there one of them in particular that stands out to you this year? Yeah. Um, I mean, Brian Breesey, I feel like, is is kind of a, a freaky just kind of guy that just, I mean, I just think he's kind of a world wrecker. You know, I feel like he's just that type of dude on the interior that can just kind of, I mean, he, he's just kind of a scary high motor interior defensive lineman that just kind of gets after it. And all those dudes, I mean, you can kind of just like shake them up and pull one out and I can, you know, say a lot of great things about them. I remember watching KJ Henry earlier in the year and just thinking KJ Henry was just an absolute freak show. Also, I mean, that defensive line in general is just like, like I, don't, I don't know if that's like, I, I it's not attainable for everyone, but man, if you can draw up a college defensive line, I think you want to do it the way Clemson has between this defensive line. I mean, the Christian Wilkins, uh, Dexter Lawrence, uh, uh, Cleveland Farrell defensive line. I mean, Clemson's just been able to build up that, that front better than so many other programs. And, uh, I think this, this unit is, is really special. They have like Xavier Thomas. I don't know if he's back yet, but he's like, He's just think kind he's of, done for the year. He's done for the year. Yeah. I mean, it's just like the talent. Like, it just kind of stacks and stacks and stacks. So all these dudes just kind of get after it, man. And and it's just an extremely impressive unit to watch. I mean, you, you just threw out the pressure numbers, and that's just kind of, like, really, really big time. The In terms of performance, I think K.J. Henry is performing the best. But I think part of that is because guys like Miles Murphy and Brian Brzee command so much attention and double teams where a guy like KJ Henry can just go win his one-on-one battles. And all these guys are older too. Like I think KJ Henry is a graduate senior. Tyler Davis is either a graduate senior or a straight up senior. Brzee and Murphy are juniors, but they are expected to be first round picks in the 2023 NFL draft. So these guys can, dominate a game quite frankly they're the they're the biggest reason why clemson is uh nine and one going into this game uh linebacker level i think they're also impressive in terms of like speed and striking ability trenton thompson's a guy to keep an eye on he was hurt didn't play against louisville um i think his status is questionable going into this week so we'll see if he's available But even if he's not, Clemson has talented guys at that level with Barrett Carter and Jeremiah Trotter. Both guys can run and chase. They blitz at a very high level, too. Um, 
I think at times the run fits haven't been consistent, um, but they are a talented group as well. The secondary to me is kind of their weak spot. Um, I don't think it's like necessarily a weakness, if that makes sense. Um, but it is, it is noticeably not as consistent as their defensive line and linebacker play. Nate Wiggins is a talented cornerback, uh, at safety. Andrew Makuba came into this year with high expectations. I don't know if he's necessarily played up to those expectations, but he's a talented guy. Um, that can certainly flash Jalen Phillips, uh, leads them in tackles from the safety spot. Um, so, and again, I think run fits have been an issue uh, from their safeties. What about their back seven, Gabby? Anything stand out to you about them, watching them a little bit? Yeah, I'm a big Barrett Carter guy. Um, I think Barrett Carter is, well, I mean, I think he's a really, really good linebacker. Uh, made a play. I mean, I was just, just kind of going through the highlights. I can't remember. If it was against Syracuse or if it was against um, maybe it was against Florida State, but kind of just like uh, I kind of has a guy crossing him, I, I guess, mm -hmm. in zone coverage, just kind of hangs around with him, runs right along a slide, runs with a slot receiver, jumps in front of a pass, picks it off. I mean, I just think a special skill set at the linebacker position, again, kind of the way that you want it, the way you kind of draw it up is, uh, you know, the way Clemson has it built, especially in that front seven. Barrett Carter definitely stands out. Trenton Simpson, obviously, you know, really, really talented linebacker. And then Nate Wiggins, I mean, again, that was a, another highly touted cornerback that they got, I believe, out of Georgia that, you know, got, got to Clemson, played early. And I think he's, I think he's been okay. You know, I think he's been, yeah. I think he's been good for them. I'm not saying their secondary is just like this elite, elite group as it has been in the past at times. Um, but I mean, that front seven to me is just like, wow. Like, I mean, I don't know how much better, you, how much more you could really ask um, up, up up there. And Barrett Carter, I think, is someone that that really stands out to me on tape. Yeah, ability-wise, body type-wise, the front seven is what Mario Cristobal wants Miami to look like in two or three years, right? Um, so that's the challenge there. Uh, how about just what we want to see from Miami? Just some talking points. I know for me, Gabby, I think... I think Miami has to stop the run force again. DJ has been pretty good this year, but I think in order to be Clemson, you have to put him in a position to go win the game. Uh, he's done that. I believe, I mean, he did it against Wake Forest. He had a very productive game against Wake Forest and overtime win uh, through for over 300 yards. But in general, the formula to beat this Clemson team is to keep the running game under wraps. I think you got to keep Will Shipley under 70 yards. You got to limit Phil Maffa to, I don't know, under 50 yards and try and force DJ to beat you in the passing game, particularly with throws to the outside. So I think that can be a little bit easier said than done. But that's kind of one thing in terms of like a key to a victory. Miami has to do that. Miami has to try and make them one-dimensional. Yeah, no, I mean, I think all all valid points. Again, I think it's a tall task. Um, yeah. I guess if you wanna if you wanna hope that that's what happens, I think you can be encouraged by the fact that Miami's seems to play a lot better on the road this year than they do at home. And 
you know, obviously going to be a pretty cool environment and hopefully that's a game that they can kind of get up for and, and, you know, just kind of put, put their hard hat on. I think maybe ho- hopefully learned a hard lesson against Florida state about showing up in these big time games. And, you know, hopefully they can kind of fix some of those errors that led to obviously a pretty terrible performance against, against the Seminoles. So, yeah, no, I think, you know, stopping the run again, you, you DJ Uyunglele needs to be the guy that beats. We did mention the the receivers, Antonio Williams and, and, and Nagata, but again, those aren't like world changing wide receivers. I mean, Antonio Williams, isn't like a Josh Downs type Nagata. Isn't like this big time, you know, eventual potential NFL receiver, in my opinion. So I don't think like the weapons are just like overwhelming or like overwhelming on the outside. I think definitely what they do best is, is tote the rock with Will Shipley and Phil Moffa. And I think, uh, definitely zeroing, zeroing, zeroing in on those two would go a long way in terms of, you know, keeping this game competitive and, and all those types of things. And if it's DJ that beats you with the arm, I mean, I guess you just kind of got to tip your cap. I think yep. that would probably be the recipe. I mean, that would be the way any defensive coordinator would probably approach Clemson. And one thing I will say, I guess, in ju- just in terms of, uh, of, I guess, keeping this game close, I think Miami needs to find a way to score, um, not like in some other way that's not on offense. I know, uh, Gosh, who was it? I mean, Notre Dame blocked a punt early yep. in the game. That, that kind of set the tone for that one. They got into the end zone on a blocked punt. Um, Syracuse. Again, yeah, Syracuse did it. Um, I think so. I think it was Louisville. Like, I, I don't know if it was Louisville. Maybe it was Syracuse that uh, returned a fumble uh, for a touchdown. That, you know, obviously that was a four-quarter grind, like grinded out game that Clemson had to win at the end. And, you know, obviously Tiger Stadium or Death Valley, I don't know what they call it over there in Clemson. Um, I guess it's just Death Valley Memorial Stadium. I mean, they've won, I think, an NCAA long uh, 39 straight games over there. I don't think they've lost a game at home in six years. So obviously going to be, um, you know, an interesting environment for Miami to go play in. Yeah, and to that point, when, if you watch Clemson this year, one thing that does stand out about them in a negative way is they do fumble the ball often. Yeah. Uh, you know, Miami's a team – that's fumbled the ball a lot this year. They've fumbled it nine times. Clemson has fumbled it 11 times on the year. And the leading fumbler has been DJ Uyangalale. He has fumbled it seven times. So uh, he's a guy that's a little loose with the football. Uh, Will Shipley has fumbled it three times. So, you know, Miami, I mean, honestly... Uh, Miami needs to, this is easier said than done because Miami's going up a few weight classes here from Georgia Tech to Clemson. But the path to victory has to mirror what they did against Georgia Tech. Dominate the turnover uh, battle, you know, against Georgia Tech. They did it 4-0. Then offensively, you know, you got to do the things that can just keep the game close, like run the ball, stay ahead of the chains, um, limit the negative plays in terms of sacks and tackles for loss. Again, that's going to be easier said than done. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you have a quarterback in Jakari Brown that can help, uh, in the run game. And he, he has shown to this point that he does do a, a good job of protecting the football. So that's going to be important if Miami's going to keep this game close. Um, you know, the last thing I I just want to see here is again, and I'm going to say this till the season's over. I want to see who's up for the fight. Uh, you know, they did a nice job. The players did of, of playing hard against Georgia tech. They were engaged, uh, 
in the game. Um, this is a different level of opponent this week. And uh, this opponent is going to test you in every way, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, which players are up for the fight. And, uh, you know, I think when, when teams play hard, uh, you definitely can uh, appreciate that. And the results are the results. So let's see if Miami can keep fighting, keep swinging, yeah. uh, let the chips fall wherever they fall. All right. Vegas has this game with Miami as a 19-point underdog. The over-under is set at 48 points. Gabby, which would you pick if you had to place one of those bets? So over-under 48 and... What is it, 18 and a half points? 19 is what I saw. My goodness. Oh, man. Again, uh, I guess Miami just finally beat the spread against Georgia Tech. I was going to say they've been terrible against the spread, but they did beat the spread against Georgia Tech, man. I don't – gosh, that's And tough. they went over because, you know, that pick six pushed the pick, at the at the At the end, it went over. Miami's been a strong well, under too. team. Yeah. Miami's been a strong, strong under team. Um Gosh, man, but I also know what this could potentially turn out to be. I, I'll, Honestly, you know what? I'm just going to – I don't know. I, I'm going back and forth. Just give me the under. Give me the under 48. I'll, I'll ride the under 48. I probably like that one better. Okay. I actually like Miami having 19 points, so I'll take that. Okay. Uh, and I agree I would take the under. So – that brings us to our prediction. I will predict. I think Miami can do a good enough job of protecting the football, uh, establishing the run a little bit, thanks to Jakari Brown, hopefully a healthy Henry Parrish, a re-engaged rooster that we all hope to see at the start of the season. Um, so I think this game, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. So I'm going to go Clemson 30, Miami 16. Okay. Yeah. That's it's slightly closer than I have it. Um, I'm going to go, th- I'm going to go 31 10. So I'm going to give Clemson the, I'm going to give Clemson 21 points, I guess, or the, the 19 and a half points. I'll probably take Clemson there. I just, I don't know how Miami's going to respond to kind of seeing this kind of defensive front. I know they're really depleted. Um, you know, they got guys that they got guys playing up front for them that, you know, haven't really played up front for them all year. And so I think that's naturally concerning. I mean, Lauren Seymour, uh, you know, I think he's been, I think he's done an okay job with his opportunities, but he is a physically limited interior lineman that's going to be going up against some freakish type of guys. Got a true freshman playing again in a big, big, big time uh, sort of atmosphere. They, I feel like when they when the offense stalls, it stalls for you know for 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 a time, and I think it takes sometimes something I don't know to get them out of that rut. I just I, I struggle to see them kind of getting on the scoreboard 
you know, or getting into the end zone a couple times. But, you know, so that for that reason, I'm going to go 31 10. Uh, we'll see what happens again. I do. I don't think that this is going to be blowout city. I guess three touchdowns might be considered a blowout, but I don't think it's going to be like humiliating, embarrassing, like the way the, the Florida State losses. And I do think we're going to see some guys that kind of grind it out and, and show what Mario Cristobal, these guys want to see from a culture, from a reactionary perspective. But I just think that Clemson and that defense might just be a little bit too much for, for Miami at this point. It'll be a blowout if Miami cannot stop the run. Yep. If Miami can't stop the run, turn your TV off. Um, and I'll say this. I am fascinated about Clemson as a program moving forward, like over the next few years. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're going to lose most of their defensive line to the NFL draft this year. The receiver talent isn't overly dynamic. I think losing Brent Venables, Tony Elliott at the coordinator roles, I think it's been costly this year. You know, this staff, Dabo's definitely promoted from within, which is admirable. But to me, it's not like a legit staff. Um, I still think Clemson's going to be good moving forward. I'm just not sold it's going to be the superpower that we saw, you know, from what, 2015 to 2020 about. Um, and so I guess my main takeaway is, look, I think Clemson wins this week, but the ACC, I think is going to be there for the taking moving forward after this year, you know, and, uh, you know, I I have a lot of respect for the championship culture that Clemson does have. Uh, but the slippage is kind of visible with that program right now. Um, and unless Dabo adapts to the times and makes some necessary changes in the offseason, I think Clemson's going to keep coming back to the pack a little bit. Um, and from a Miami perspective, the question is, can Mario Cristobal and Miami take advantage of that moving forward? So um, it's definitely kind of like a measuring stick type of game. It's definitely going to be a game where, you know, if you're a smart fan, you will look at the two teams on the field and you will probably see noticeable differences between the personnel at certain spots. Clemson has the type of personnel that Miami wants to look like at certain spots. Um, But we'll see what Miami can do. Uh, Again, ESPN 330 kick. Uh, it'll, it's always fun to watch Miami Hurricanes football. Until next time, take care. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.